Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Well, welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church, and this is our final message on the best way to live, and this one is all about freedom. Now, I've been trying to search for some silver linings in all of this, and I'll tell you what, when the internet met Captain America and developed memes, and then those memes met dad jokes, I have found myself the ultimate in heaven. So, since this is Memorial Day weekend, I just said I had to wear my team cap shirt, you know, and uh, all-American team cap. And uh, we have to look at some of these memes on TV because, or on the internet, because they are hilarious. Now, if you don't like dad jokes, I can't help you. We have a therapy group for you. But um, other than that, I just thought we'd have some fun here today. And this is from my favorite movie, which is uh, one of my top movies, which is Captain America and the Winter Soldier, you know, and uh, he's kind of getting in a, this little tiff inside of an elevator there. But uh, uh, let's show some of these. Here's the first one. He looks at the guy and he goes, what do you call two monkeys sharing an Amazon account? And the guy goes, what? He's the bad guy. He goes, prime mates. I think that's funny. Here's the next one right here, okay? This one is, how do you make a waterbed more bouncy? How? You add spring water. And they start fighting in the elevator. Isn't that great? I thought that's funny. Here's another one. I had to get rid of my vacuum. Why? Because it really sucked. And then I get in a fight. See, these are good. See, these are good. Now, one, one thing you got to understand. For dad jokes to work, you have to commit fully. Okay, fully commit. All right, here's the next one. I have some jokes about unemployed people, but I can't tell them to you. Why? Because none of them work. Here's the next one. Okay. I tried to sue the airline for losing my luggage. Did you win? I lost the case. (laughs) See, that's pretty good. And here's one that I think, what's made of leather and sounds like a sneeze? What? A shoe. There you go. Hi, you caught that. All right, here's one. I was fired from a calendar factory. What was the reason? I took a day off. There you go. All right. The internet, Captain America, and dad jokes. And you're thinking, man, I hope we can really be free from that forevermore. No, we love those things. We're in a series about your soul, and it's all trying to answer the deepest questions about your soul. And so I want to give a little brief review before we jump into our final principle, which is the best way to live is all about freedom. So here is our review. Number one, you have a soul and it longs for something. Now, Jesus came in order to quench the thirst of your soul. And so to do that, he had to renew your soul first. That's why he came. That's why he died on the cross for our sins. And that is because our soul has been tainted and it must be renewed, brought back to life, redeemed. Now, once it has been renewed, then it can be filled. And it is often filled with all these new values like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, these things that are the fruit of being filled by Jesus Christ. And these new values are the best way to live. So we're going to jump in to our passages of scripture that really introduce us 
to the final principle in the best way to live. And the best way to live is all about freedom. So let's look at these passages of scripture. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 17 says, now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In Galatians chapter five, verse one, Paul writes to the Galatian church, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Then in Ephesians chapter three, verse 12, it says the following, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In James chapter two, verse 12, it says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives us freedom. And then 1 Peter 2.16 says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's servants. So what you see now is this principle. And this principle is that we find freedom in Christ. We do not find freedom in ourselves. We don't find freedom in the world. And we certainly don't find freedom in a religion or ceremony. That's what these passages of scripture are saying over and over again. When you have your soul renewed in Christ, then the best way to live is in freedom because that's what we've been called to do. And when you live in freedom, you discover the power that it has in your life. The first thing that it does is that it releases you from the past. There's so many people that are carrying things from the past, past mistakes, past decisions, maybe something that was done to them unjustly. And these things in the past, in a way, uh, steal or hinder us from walking in a new life. And so when you have your soul renewed, what happens is you can now experience a healing of your soul, a healing of these past wounds, a healing of these past decisions, and then you can enjoy a new life. The other thing that happens is this, is that when your soul is renewed and you start living in freedom, you are able to pursue your new identity in Christ. You see, there's nothing more frustrating than having a sense that, you know, my life was meant to be maybe more joyful or more authentic or more at peace or more fill in the blank and not being able to experience that or walk in it. And the reason why is because oftentimes when our souls aren't renewed, we have an inkling of that, but we're so disappointed and frustrated because we never experience it. Well, once your soul's renewed and then you start living in freedom, you now have the capacity to become that new identity. And then the final thing that living and walking in freedom does is it allows you to live in authentic joy. Not happiness, but authentic joy. That regardless of what's going on, you have a sense of peace and joy in your life. So this is the power of this principle, living and walking in freedom. And we can only find freedom in Christ. We can't find freedom in ourselves. If we try to do it, it just doesn't work. We can't find freedom in the world. The things that the world has to offer entrap us. 
They don't set us free. As a matter of fact, many things in the world is what taints our soul that Christ came to heal us from. Finally, we can't find freedom in a set of rules or regulations or ceremonies. These are just our efforts. We need something at the very core of our being that sets us free. And that, my friends, can only be found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So if we know this to be true in the principle, and this is what the Bible teaches, then why is it that once our souls are renewed, we really struggle to live in this freedom? Why is it that we have uh, uh, an inability sometimes to walk and live as free people? Well, that's because there are certain things that the New Testament teaches that can steal your freedom. Even though Christ is doing a new thing in you, there are things in this world that ultimately can hurt a renewed soul. They can steal your freedom. So let's go through these real quick. Just a reminder before we do so. And that is, you can get these notes on our phone app and fill in the blanks yourself. Okay? The first one is this. Something that steals our freedom is bitterness. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, the following words. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So notice how he says that bitterness can grow is from a root in your life. And what does it do? It causes you trouble and it can defile a lot of people around you. In James chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? So let's be really wise and understanding about the following principle. Let them show it by their good life, good deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. So if you're a wise person, you tend to live out your wisdom, right? Then this is what he says. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Don't boast about it or deny the truth. When bitterness takes root in our life, guess what? It allows us to deny the truth. Deny the truth of who God is and what he's done. Deny our new identity. And so we get out of alignment with what God is trying to will and to work in our lives. Now, most important, though, is the words of Jesus when it comes to bitterness. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. Jesus says, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, I'd just like to point out what a trap that can become. Bitterness is a terrible trap that separates you from the forgiveness of God in your own life. Now, why is that? Well, the reason why is because bitterness turns your focus inward. You nurse the offense instead of letting it go. And so the end result is that you tend to have high expectations of other people's behavior, but you dismiss your own flaws and your own failures. And so bitterness gets your focus on the wrong thing. Now, how do you find freedom from the trap of bitterness? How do you continually walk in the freedom that Christ wants to bring you in your life? Well, the only antidote for that is forgiveness. Now, I wrote a book called How to Forgive, 
And you can go to our website under resources backslash books, okay, foothills.org books. Now, this book is How to Connect to Jesus. The one, I, uh, the one I'm suggesting, though, is called How to Forgive. Go to that. There's, there's people. Go to there and download that book. Now, you can find a lot of other books that are better than my book on forgiveness. The one thing that makes my book really attractive is it's short, it's very short. Now, I also realize that guys uh, have a different attitude towards forgiveness as well. And so I wrote one just for them, and it's called How to Forgive for Men. So if you're a guy and you want to try to work through forgiveness, download that book. They're free. They're available for you. Don't let bitterness entrap you and rob you of your freedom in Christ because it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't submit yourself once again to a yoke of slavery. And sometimes bitterness is the most terrible yoke you can carry. Now let's move on to the next one, okay? That robs us of uh, freedom in Christ. And that is legalism or religion. And the definition I have for religion is following a lot of codes of rules and regulations and ceremonies, thinking that those things that you're doing on the outside will help you on the inside. Now, one of the biggest places where we deal with legalism is found in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, the early church was growing like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire. And so there were people then that were coming behind the Apostle Paul and other evangelists that were planting churches and saying, look, if you guys don't convert to Judaism first, you can't become a follower of Christ. And so let's look in chapter 15 and see what happened and how they dealt with it. Chapter 15, verse 1 of the book of Acts. Now, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Now, Antioch was a city where there was a massive church there, and it was filled with people who were non-Jewish or Gentiles. So they came to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow, what an impact it would have on all those people who were not Jewish living in that city and going to that church. What they were saying is that you guys thought you were saved, but you really weren't because you haven't had a medical procedure, you guys. And that'd be like, whoa, that's kind of a showstopper for adult men right there. So, so what happens is then they go from Antioch and they travel to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem, they meet with the apostles. And during this meeting, verse five, now some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Okay. So these guys were followers of Christ and they were saying, look, you're going to have to do this. So they debate it over the next few verses. And then the apostle Peter stands up and this is what he says in verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles excuse me, who are turning to God. And in that moment, what he did is he ensconced into the core doctrine of the church over the last 2000 years that Christianity is not a religion, but it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it basically says you follow just a couple of things and 
That's why the church continued to grow among the Gentile population. Legalism is a trap that steals you from freedom. And here is why. The first thing it does is it tries to draw a circle and say, this is who's in and this is who's out. It's tribal in nature. It steals your freedom because it seeks uniformity. We all have to look and act the same outwardly and inwardly. And once you seek uniformity, you impose conformity. People need to conform to it, whether they, their heart's in it or not. And then once it's achieved, you must police it and ensure that it happens. This is why legalism tends to be divisive and it steals your freedom. It appeals to the human heart because the human heart wants to find security in what it does instead of finding security in being renewed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't let religion, don't let legalism steal or rob you of your freedom in Christ once your soul has been renewed. This truly is the best way to live. Number three, the next one that steals or robs our freedom in Christ is known as apathy and compromise. Now I want to point you to Galatians chapter one, where Paul talks about this again. He says, I'm astonished that you so quickly desert the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, live in the grace of Christ. That's what we're called to do and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. In other words, it sounds like the truth, but it's really not. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus. Now, he's directly referencing the same people that went to Antioch in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. That's who he's referencing. Now, we don't face that issue today. We are facing a different issue today, and it's a partial gospel. And in churches in America today, there is a messaging that is departing from the true gospel of Christ. And it kind of sounds like this. Look, you're a mess. I'm a mess. Let's just be a mess together. And Jesus is going to still love us. Well, you see, that's partially true, but it leaves out a really big point of the gospel. And the gospel is, is that Christ saved you for a purpose and Paul said, do we go on sinning that grace might increase? May it never be. We don't do that. How can we who have died to sin keep living in it? And what does that specifically mean? Is that it means, well, the purpose in following Jesus and walking in freedom is to be inspired to grow. It's being encouraged to develop it's a, a want or an ambition to mature in the faith, to be stronger than you were, to, to be a better influence and bear better fruit and make a, a bigger impact with your own life on the kingdom of God. The truth is when compassion has no truth, all you end up with is manipulation. And Paul would say, this is not the gospel. It creates confusion. You know what? The, you know what the answer, their antidote to this trap is? It's called discipline. People who hate discipline, who feel that I just want to be loved, I don't want to change, are people who are pushing back against 
God's work in their own life. And that becomes a trap. If you really want to understand discipline, you can listen to Jocko Willink, the Navy SEAL, now retired, and he, you go on the internet and you can Google discipline equals freedom, and he talks about it like a stone of granite and a hand grenade that just went off in your brain. I mean, he is just bam. He doesn't mess around. But boy, he, he says some really great stuff. And what he's saying applies to us, and that is, look, feeling and emotion isn't what sets you free. Discipline does. Discipline is what allows you to grow stronger, to be inspired, to develop and mature. Compromise, apathy, laziness, gluttony. The New Testament talks about these things. Why? Because they steal your freedom and they entrap you. Now let's move to the last one, which is going to raise a few eyebrows, but the Bible is very specific about this. And the one thing that can really steal our freedom in Christ is sexual immorality. Let's look at what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was dealing with this very issue. And I'll explain it as I read the verses. Paul addresses their situation in his sixth chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. And he says this, he says, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy them both. However, I say to you, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but it is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So what's going on there? Well, in the church there, there was a large group of people who were saying, look, stomach is for the food. Food is for the stomach. It's an appetite, right? We're not going to have this appetite. We're not going to have hamburgers in heaven. So we don't have to worry about that once we go to heaven. And so they were equating sexual contact as just a basic appetite. And that is, well, you eat when you're hungry and you're going to get rid of that, right? So who cares what you do now? Well, Paul says, that's not true. And then he jumps down in verse 18 and he tells you why it's not true. He says, you must flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So what does he mean by that? Well, he's saying that there's something deeply spiritual about sexual contact. Now, sexual desire, sexual drive is probably one of the most powerful drives you'll ever experience in your life. It's super, super strong. Satan knows this and he tries to use it against you. God who created our sexual drives and our sexual expression to build and to bond, Satan uses it as a strike against your soul. And that's why Paul says to flee it. What, what are some general principles that I could help you grab onto about keeping your freedom? Well, here's the first one is that the way you think about your sexuality, the way you embrace sexuality, the desire you have towards it and how you behave in regards to it is not a physical appetite, but it is spiritual in nature. It has deep spiritual influence on your soul. The second thing is this, the Bible teaches is that 
your practice, behavior, and desire sexually is tied directly to your identity in Christ. So it's very important to understand that you can't build your identity in Christ and build an identity on your sexual identity, sexual uh, orientation as well. You can't bring them both together. You're trying to bring something from the world and something from God, and you're trying to mix them together, and it doesn't work. For many, many years, the first 300 to 500 years of the church, this was an important principle that people would commit to long terms of celibacy in order to show that my identity is not built upon my sexual drives or desires. It's built on Christ and Christ alone. And during this period of time, more people found freedom in Christ than the thousand years after that first 400 years. It's amazing. It grew like wildfire because what people were discovering is that all the sexual pursuits that they had could not fulfill the, or quench the thirst of their soul. And so they turned to God and they found a new identity in him. That's why we have to be careful. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your story is, but you do. And I want you to find your new identity in Christ so that in the end, it doesn't rob you of the freedom that you have in Christ when your soul has been renewed. So let's kind of go into the final thing that I wanted to share with you, and that is this. The best way to live is all about connecting to your mission in life. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, have you ever uh, thought back to when you learned how to drive? You're 15 years old and you get in there and, and they're saying, okay, what you don't want to do is you don't want to drive the car into the curb, right? So you get in the car and what does the instructor say? Okay, you do not want to drive the car into the curb because it's going to wreck the car, right? So I want you to stare at the curb so you don't drive into it. Is that what the instructor says? No, because what happens if you stare at the curb? You drive into it. What does the instructor always say? Hey, keep your eye on where you want to go. Keep your eye on the horizon and then go there and you'll never run into the curb. Well, it's the same concept. When you're connecting to your mission in life, you can stay focused on what God is doing in your life and it keeps you living free. First of all, because when you're focused on what God is doing, it doesn't matter what other people are not doing or are doing. You're not comparing yourself because you're thinking, wow, God is working in me to make a difference and I want more of that. God, work on me. Sharpen my saw. Sharpen my skills. Let me become the person you want me to become because I'm living my mission. Number two, it keeps you from pitfalls. It, you don't run into the curb because you're, you're thinking, wow, I'm not focused on the, the guideline or the guardrail. I'm focused on where God wants to take me. And so you don't need religion. You don't need a bunch of rules and regulations to keep you uh, from running into the curb. When you're focused on and connected on your mission in life, guess what? It gives you more strength. It's so easy when you don't know what your mission is or why you're doing something or you're doing something you don't like to simply go, oh, I'll just finish it tomorrow or procrastinate and never do it at all. 
when you know what your mission is and you know what your focus is, it's so easy to keep going, get it done, get that football into the end zone. It's your goal. It also increases your confidence because you see God using you for the purpose of your new identity of what you're meant to do in his kingdom. And so your confidence grows, not because you're better, but you realize, wow, the more I trust God and the more he moves from me, the more uh, impact and influence it has positively on people's lives. And then you know what that does? That grows your courage. You become a more courageous, faith-oriented, risk-taking, step-out-and-trust-God kind of a person. But the thing you don't want to do is allow these four things, bitterness, legalism, sexual immorality, you don't want any of those things to steal your freedom. Be the person that God created you to be. The best way to live is to live out your mission and walk free in Christ. So let's let Dana close us out. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.